what needs to happen on the theater side, on the way things operate and on the way things historically have run and those agreements have taken place? What needs to change in order for theaters to be able to successfully navigate that phrase I hate, the new normal? Hello, and welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the only publication devoted exclusively to the theatrical exhibition business, joined today by Daniel Loria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro. Daniel, we're coming into a 2021 that predictably, if somewhat sadly, doesn't really feel that different from 2020 in terms of how the movie theater industry is going right now. Yeah, I was hoping that January 1st would just be magically everything resets, but no. No, it's no, not. That's not how it's happening at all. But but I will say it's January, and at least I'm trying to keep things like as normal as possible, even though nothing really has changed and things are still not stable at all outside of my apartment. But January in, in my apartment, Rebecca, is Mexican soup season. And oh. I don't know if you are very knowledgeable about Mexican soups, I would not blame you if you are not, but I would encourage you and any of our listeners, Mexico is very underrated for our soups. We are very good at soups. So I'm going through all of my mom's recipes and trying to recreate these Mexican soups at home. Caldo de camarón, which is like a spicy shrimp broth, is my favorite. Mm. It's kind of tough to make. I know spicy shrimp broth doesn't sound enticing, but I assure you, in, in like a cold day... It's fantastic. So at least I'm busy with that. Does that count? I mean, as we sit around our apartments all kind of waiting to get the vaccine, you got to you gotta pass the time. You got to do what you got to do. Certainly not a lot of people are going to the movie theaters right now. As we record this, Wonder Woman has been toppled from the, the number one spot at the box office. At this point for Wonder Woman, you know, we spoke last week about that pretty intense, I believe, 67% drop between week one and week two. Daniel, what are we looking at now? Uh, The answer to that is we don't know, (laughs) which is absurd. But unfortunately, that's the reality of uh, Warner Brothers box office reporting since the pandemic. So as opposed to sending three-day weekend estimates like every other studio in the industry, Warner Brothers decided to throw us a curveball and give us a four-day estimate on a Sunday for Wonder Woman 1984, which was $2.6 million. But at face value, that's not that bad of a drop. It's a 13% drop, which is fantastic for Wonder Woman now in its fourth week of release in North America. It crossed $35 million. These are positive things. The title is still performing much better than many other titles on the market. But again, that $2.6 million for last weekend comes with an asterisk because it's a four-day estimate as opposed to a three-day one, where in reality, Wonder Woman 1984 probably grossed under $2 million in its fourth weekend. It would actually finish up in third place behind the marksmen and the crudes here in the market. Otherwise, a title like The Croods is, is holding surprisingly well, Rebecca. The Croods now up to $39 million after eight weeks in release, where in this new normal, it's, it's actually a surprisingly positive sign for the only family title to have been released so far at this point. So as you say, it's, it's a difficult time with Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, it has the extra caveat or asterisk where... Not only has it been available to movie theaters, but it's been available to the home. So we're seeing these big drops on this title. And really, 
you know, it's too early to tell, but uh, Rebecca, is it safe to say that this might be a sign of things to come with this uh, day and date strategy from Warner Brothers? I mean, I, I think it is too early to tell, but I think there's, uh, you know, definitely points for concern. I mean, it's something that we've spoken a lot about, that the exclusivity window has changed. That change is going to continue. It's not going to dial back to what it was before. So um, that's actually, you know, ties into our main interview today. Things have already changed. What needs to happen on the theater side, on the way things operate and on the way things historically have run and those agreements have taken place. What needs to change in order for theaters to be able to successfully navigate that phrase I hate, the new normal? Right. To discuss that in the interview segment of this episode is Luis Castellazo, the CFO of CMX Cinemas, one of the 10 largest circuits in North America. But before we hop on the interview with Luis, here is a message from this week's sponsor. QSC announces the expansion of the QSIS ecosystem for audio, video, and control with the new cost-effective Core Nano and Core 8 Flex processors. Far beyond a conventional cinema processor, QSIS is a complete ecosystem that allows you to control and monitor audio and video content delivery just about anywhere throughout the cinema complex. Visit qsc.com podcast for more information. Again, that's qsc.com forward slash podcast. And welcome to our interview segment here on the Box Office Podcast. Rebecca and I are joined by our guest this week, Luis Castellazo, the CFO of CMX Cinemas, one of the top circuits here in the North American market. Luis, welcome. Thank you, Daniel. Happy to be here. And uh, yeah, it's been, I guess, an interesting start to 2021 as we're all balancing what this recovery is going to look like. But to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about CMX Cinemas, which is a circuit that really jumped onto the scene in the United States not that long ago and quickly rose to become one of the top 10 circuits in the market. Correct. We uh, got here in the U.S. in 2017. We opened our first location in Miami in Brickell City Center. And from there, we grew both organically and inorganically very quickly. We reached the 40 location mark last year. We have had lots of up and downs. So obviously, because of the pandemic, that's a big down. We had to file Chapter 11. But thankfully, with the help of everyone in the team, we're out of Chapter 11 and ready to continue operating here in the U.S. I've had a chance to, to visit your location in New York City. For anyone here who's listening who maybe is in New York but hasn't uh, been able to visit it, I, I really do recommend it. When theaters open back up, uh, it's, a, it's a very you know, gorgeous, luxurious feeling cinema. Yes, that, that's the way we build all the new theaters. And whenever we remodel them, we, we do them with the same look and feel like the one in New York. I hate to break the news, but uh, the New York City one was one of the ones we rejected during our Chapter 11. So that one, oh, no. that one is no longer ours. However, we do have uh, many more throughout the country. And their Miami location, Rebecca, I've been there with Luis a couple of years back, and it's fascinating. It, it's really one of the, the more interesting locations in a city like Miami. I've said this on the podcast before. I grew up part of my teenage years in Miami, went to high school there. And it really is one of those premier locations in the city. I can't recommend it enough. One of the things you guys did when you entered the U.S., Luis, was 
adopt this concept of not only having to rely on the movie theater experience itself, but you also added the sports bar to that Miami location. I believe it's it was called Stone. Uh, am I correct in the name? That's correct. Yes, we did that in Miami. It works really well. Therefore, we've done the same with all the new ones that we've been building. You know, we had a Stone Sports Bar. People can go there not only to watch a movie, but also to enjoy a game or simply watch whatever is on TV at that moment. And it's, it's really interesting, Rebecca. I mean, in, in a city like Miami that's, that's very global, you have a very diverse culture there. You should see how the crowds get at the movie theaters during the World Cup. And it's interesting because the cinema business on a World Cup summer, that's usually a downtime for a lot of movie theaters around the world. These guys had, a, had great success with that concept. And CMX has also introduced some concepts that I find very interesting on, on the concession side. I believe you have that grab-and-go concessions food court. Is it in your closer New Jersey location? Uh, correct. We have it there. We also have it in Illinois. And basically, what we're offering is higher-end food that you can pick from a grab-and-grow station or from an actual station where it is prepared at the moment. So basically, it's like a market, and actually the concept is called markets. You take your things, you pay at the end, and you take them to your seats. So it's not the super highest end like our Cine Bistro concept, where we have the servers come to your seat and get everything to you. But it's certainly a, a much higher end experience than the regular concessions. Have you integrated mobile ordering into that? Or is that something that, uh, that you're looking into? Obviously, contactless F&B is only increasing in prominence over, after last year. Correct. We're, we're working towards implementing this. Yes. Yeah, it's basically the U.S. arm of the Mexican multinational mega circuit, Cinemex, coming into the market, really stating this statement of intent in having a top 10 presence within its first year. I believe, Luis, if I'm not mistaken, that first year you were in operation in the U.S., you opened the Miami location, I think it was in April. And by the time I met Luis in person down in Show East in Miami, the circuit had already acquired, I believe, Cobb, or you were already in negotiations to acquire Cobb. So within the first year in operation, you have this example of an international circuit, a circuit with an international presence, coming into the U.S., having a leadership positioning, and starting to introduce some concepts that are already there. Obviously, there's been some speed bumps in 2020, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to get you on and speak to this, Luis, so thanks for joining us. So when CMX filed for Chapter 11 in 2020, it was notable because it was the first major circuit in the North America market to do so. And in that piece of news was an important detail that Luis would end up expanding on by the end of the year, which was just film rentals and just the economic structure of how things had to change in order for the industry to really get back up and running. So I think CMX was a little bit on the forefront of realizing how big this crisis was going to be. I think in the early days, none of us really knew what we were in store uh, for, and that really we had to have a recalibration and really a radical realignment of how the industry works. Could you tell us a little bit about how the film business has traditionally worked for a major circuit like CMX and how that basically was lining up as we entered the pandemic? Sure. I mean, traditionally in the U.S., the studios have always charged a percentage of movie ticket sales. However, that percentage has been going up. If we go back to the 70s and we research what that percentage was, that percentage was below 30%. So that, that means less than 30% of the ticket sales would go to the studios 
and the movie theaters were able to keep more than 70%. And what we've seen is that studios obviously have the power to continue increasing that, because otherwise, if we don't put their movies, we're worse off. So they have been able to increase these percentage through the years. And if you check out the public companies last year, or at least their U.S. operations, this percentage is 56, 57% of movie tickets. So what this has provoked is that movie theaters obviously don't have the margins that they used to. So they've had to generally try to get money from somewhere else. And generally you see in the U.S. or the movie theaters maybe are not as a VIP experience that you see in other countries. And this may be the reason, no? uh, movie theaters trying to save money and to increase price of food and beverage to be able to survive. Now, how, do, how does this compare to the way things are in other countries in which CMX or Cinemax operates? So Cinemax operates only in Mexico. It also works as a percentage. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's confidential information, and I can't comment on, on the percentages that, that they have there. Mm-hmm. But if you speak to anyone in the industry, you'll see that it varies by country. Mm-hmm. In the public companies, you will see that the operations of a single company in different countries, the percentage is different. A lot has been said also about changing the structure. No, it doesn't make sense maybe anymore to have a percentage. Maybe it makes sense to have a set price or a per capita. And, and I'll give you an example. It's, it's not the same for someone who invests millions of dollars to have the best VIP offering, a great seat with, with a lot of space, than someone who just cramps seats together and do, doesn't offer anything else. I mean, in the end, if we are investing in, 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 ha- in offering a VIP experience, why do I have to share part of that to the studios? If someone watches a movie in my theater, in a theater that didn't invest in, in high-end facilities, why do we have to pay more? I mean, it's, it's one person watching a movie. The studio should be concerned about getting paid for each specific person that watches a movie and not take part of my big investment in putting uh, VIP offerings in, in our facilities. That's another thing that could change, but uh, we'll see what happens. It's an evolution of that same conversation that took place around the time of the conversion to digital when you have the discussion over who pays for this. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and especially right now, as as you mentioned, Luis, where the, and it's really something that we've seen, I think, with a lot of the international and, and multinational circuits coming into the U.S. market, Something that I think we started to see, give or take 10, 15 years ago, where the standard of movie theaters or the movie theater experience, the way we've seen in other countries, started to come in and slightly revitalize the way we're seeing movie theaters here in the U.S., And those investments, as you note in your open letter that you shared with us near the end of last year, are significant. So in in other words, the investment for a movie theater is significantly more than an investment for a bar or a restaurant. And when you are facing a split or a percentage of your admissions revenues that is continuously smaller and smaller on your end for the studios, that can get difficult. Now, in that open letter that you wrote last year, you mentioned a couple of solutions that, that you thought would be viable for exhibition to get back on its feet. I was wondering if you could take us through those proposals and how they could work right now. Sure. The studios have historically given us a window or a number of days in which we have theater exclusivity before they release their movies elsewhere, namely their online apps. Because we have been given this exclusivity window, they have been able to charge a very high percentage. Now, 
if today they decide to reduce the number of days, to reduce that window or to eliminate that window uh, completely, then they can't possibly be charging the same because obviously our attendance will drop. So what I did in this open letter and uh, specifically for, for CMX was to calculate more or less what this percentage should be when we have less attendance because of this decision that they're making. So if our attendance is reduced by 50%, then the percentage that they have to charge us is very similar to what they were charging us in the 70s if we want to maintain the same profitability. So that's, that's basically the proposal. If we're not having that historical exclusivity, then the percentage that they charge us for every movie should be drastically reduced. And the reduction should be calculated based on how much our attendance is impacted versus having that exclusivity that we have enjoyed for several decades. And I think what's notable about this is that it implies, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from the exhibition side, a flexibility on the Windows conversation, which has been a very fraught conversation for many decades in this industry. What it seems to me, and it's not only from the CMX side of things, I've also heard it from many exhibitors, is saying, okay, if there is this push to shorter Windows, we have to sort of restructure how everything is working so the system can still survive with a shorter Windows. It's not, as maybe the conversation used to go, of window, shorter windows are a non-starter. In your experience, Luis, have studios been amenable at looking at restructuring these arrangements or are we so early in the conversation where it's a little bit of that Warner Brothers situation where something is announced and the details really haven't been worked out yet? Yeah, I would say it's more the, the latter, Daniel. I mean, we, we've had conversations and, and even before the pandemic, but I guess everyone is, is looking into how things are going to settle down and who does the first move. And so it's, it's not like we've been able to arrange any kind of new deals. It is mostly the same that, that, as they have historically worked. But we hope that we can work and make these new arrangements, which will save uh, the industry and also help the studios. We're not opposed, uh, at least speaking for CMX, to having the windows being reduced or eliminated. But what we need is a different kind of film rental that is fair for both parties. Uh, right. Something sustainable for the different windows to be able to make money for everyone involved. Now, Re Rebecca, I know you wanted to bring something in from a specific title that we've seen recently. Uh, yeah, specifically for, for Wonder Woman 84, obviously, uh, in terms of the shifting shortening windows, it's very early days. Obviously, in terms of movie theater attendance, COVID-19 is, is a huge factor, is the factor in, in determining, you know, I think why people are going or if they're going or if they're not. Um, you know, that said, since it came out on Christmas, we have seen a, a pretty precipitous week-on-week -week drop in terms of theatrical box office for the film. Looking at how things have been at CMX, maybe anecdotally in conversations with other exhibitors, have you gotten the impression that the day-and-date move for Wonder Woman 1984 has affected the attendance in theaters for the film? So when it was released, the first, the first week was really, really good taking into account that we're in the middle of the pandemic, of course. But I think because of the pandemic, uh, what happened is that the people who are really, really hard fans of the movie are the ones who went on the first week. No? And usually when we have a blockbuster such as that one, the number of people attending keeps being high for the next couple of weeks. 
But that's not during a pandemic. During a pandemic, of course, things change. And, and as you know, we have a restricted number of seats we can sell, depending on the state and county. It is very difficult to know what would have happened if there wasn't a pandemic, with a movie being released in an online platform at the same time as in theaters. It's difficult to know no? what would have happened. Now, obviously, we don't want to focus too much on the maybes and might-haves, so I'm going to do something equally as irresponsible and ask you about the future, which clearly none of us can, uh, can predict and how these things are going to uh, happen. But as a CFO, it's part of your job to look into the future, make some analyses, make some projections. We are looking at this year as a recovery year, by title alone, in 2021 for the cinema industry. What does that recovery mean for you? And when do you think, maybe not specifically, of course, when audiences will be able to come back without restrictions, we don't have any say or understanding of that. But how much do you believe this industry can recover with shortened windows? Are we going to have that $11 billion streak that we had in North America once again? Or are we looking with shorter windows at potentially a smaller market that we're going to have to work better within? I mean, I, I wish I could answer that and know exactly what's going to happen. My, my take is that most of the studios have their big movies to the, to the future. They have simply postponed them. It's only a handful that they decided to um, send to streaming platforms. So I, I would say in the short term, the next two or three years, once we're out of the pandemic, they should be very good years and we should get back to normal despite shortened windows, just because I believe we're going to have a lot of offerings out there. Now, what will happen beyond that? I think it is difficult but difficult to know, but uh, the fact that there will be so many offerings in so many different platforms and on movie theaters, I think people are just going to have too many options you know, to, to watch a movie. But just as, as people have too many options to go to a restaurant instead of dining at home, you still want to go to a restaurant. So I believe there's still going to be a market for people to enjoy movies on the big screen and to be able to have something else that, that maybe they can't have at home. In our case, it's CMX Stone Sports Bar, our VIP facilities. So I'm not sure if the industry will be as large as it has historically been or it will be smaller. But uh, what I do know is that the industry will still be here for many years to come. You've done analysis to say if things are, are going day and date or, or if the theatrical exclusivity window is shortened extensively, you'll see a percentage drop of attendance of, you know, X amount and film rentals should be adjusted to reflect what the drop in attendance is. How do you determine that? And how do you determine what it is caused by? I mean, if you have a drop in attendance, A, compared to what? And B, is it because of streaming? Or the studio could come back and say, oh, no, it's because the movie theater did this, or it's because the film wasn't as good, or, or X, Y, Z. So thankfully, we have a lot of data from the past. And so whenever we have a new movie, there are movies that are similar, you know, that we can compare to. And that's the way it's always been done. Of course, the forecasts of, of box office in the United States or of attendance in the United States are not always perfect, but they have been somewhat reliable. We have been able to predict, and, and I say we as in the industry, have been able to predict how much box office will be able to produce. So my conclusion is that just as we have been able to forecast to some extent how each movie would do, we should be able to come with a good expectation of range of how much it would do if it weren't sent to a uh, streaming platform. 
and how much it actually did if it is sent to a streaming platform earlier or at the same time as in movie theaters. So it is not perfect, but so far we've been able to do a, a fairly good job historically. Yeah. Well, comps are our bread and butter here at Box Office, so we're uh, we're very familiar with that analytical assessment of things. And we understand, I mean, Daniel, you know, sometimes our, our chief box office analyst, Sean, will make a prediction and the studios will say, no, that's not our prediction. So there's some back and forth sometimes <laughs> on it. A little bit, yeah. Well, Luis, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for speaking out about this topic. As Rebecca and I can say on, on the press side, sometimes it can be difficult getting frank assessment or the clarity that we would like, especially when situations are difficult. And it was nice to get that open letter from you and CMX basically just saying, this is the situation and these are potential solutions to get out of it. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you, Rebecca. It was great being here with you today. Thank you so much. I can't wait to go to that theater in Miami one of these days. And thank you again to Luis, CFO of CMX Cinemas, and as always, Daniel Luria. We'll be welcoming Russ Fisher back next week in case anyone misses his dulcet tones. I know that I do. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast. This episode was written and produced by Daniel Luria and Rebecca Polly. Please join us next week for another episode of the Box Office Podcast and have a happy new year. Mm-hmm.